The nation of Mexico is notably ethnically diverse. However, it is also difficult to pinpoint the exact demographics of the Mexican population, as most of the different races in Mexico are becoming more uniform over time. Most Mexicans are considered mestizo, which means that they are of mixed indigenous and European descent. There are also a fair number of Afro-Mexicans, who are descendants of enslaved Africans, as well as a smaller percentage of Arab Mexicans and Asian Mexicans. For the purposes of this episode, I'm going to focus on Mexicans of white European descent. For most white Mexicans are of Spanish descent, as Mexico used to be a colony of Spain, but there is also a significant amount of German, French, and Italian Mexicans. In the 1920s, Mexican President Alvaro Obregón invited a group of Canadian Mennonites to resettle in the state of Chihuahua. Tens of thousands of Mennonites moved to Mexico, and today, Mexican Mennonites constitute 42% of all Mennonites in North America. But back to Alvaro Obregón. Whether you realize it or not, Obregón's name is indicative of another historically important ethnic group in Mexico. See, Obregón is actually the Spanish equivalent of the surname O'Brien. Professional middleweight boxer Canelo Alvarez is also a member of this ethnic group, as evidenced by his full name, Santos Sol Alvarez Baragán. See, Baragán is actually the Spanish equivalent of the surname Berrigan. Noticing a trend yet? If I haven't made it obvious enough yet, I'll also mention that Canelo Alvarez's ring name, Canelo, is Spanish for cinnamon, a nickname usually given to Mexicans with red hair. Red hair? That's right, today I'm going to be talking about Irish Mexicans. Between 700,000 and 1.2 million Mexicans are of Irish descent, making up about 1% of the population of Mexico. Now you might know about how common Irish diaspora, myself included, are in the US, where they make up 11% of the population and where there are 8 times as many Irish people as there actually are in Ireland. But Mexico? How did they get there? Well, rather than emigrating directly from Ireland to Mexico, many Irish living in America decided to move down to Mexico. But why would they want to do that, you might ask? The discrimination and prejudice displayed against Irish Americans in the 1840s to the 1860s was nothing short of terrible. The Irish, especially Irish Catholics, were often perceived as, at best, dim-witted savages, and at worst, a facade for the Pope to invade and conquer the U.S. Catholic churches were frequently burnt down, and Irish-owned businesses were looted. The phrase, no Irish need apply, is a well-known relic of the era, and this job discrimination was a key factor of the low socioeconomic status held by many Irish at the time. While many Irish Americans moved to Mexico in the 1860s after finding work building the Transcontinental Railroad, different circumstances allowed others to emigrate in the 1840s. 
a war between the United States and Mexico gave many Irish the perfect opportunity to leave for Mexico and fight against the country that they had originally emigrated to. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 21st episode of this podcast, and I'm glad you've stuck around for it. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber Sodak Zack. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. I haven't done this before, but I'm actually going to refer back to a previous episode because of a current event. Remember how George Wallace founded the American Independent Party as a means for preserving racial segregation in America? Well, the party has changed quite a bit since then, and in 2020, both the candidates on the party's ticket are minorities. The presidential candidate is businessman and perennial candidate Rocky De La Fuente, and the vice presidential candidate is none other than famous rapper Kanye West. So yeah, times have certainly changed. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Most of the present-day southwestern U.S., including California, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and most importantly Texas, used to be part of Mexico. Colonized by the Spanish Empire in the late 1600s, these all became Mexican territory after Mexico gained independence from Spain in 1821. After experiencing an economic downturn, Mexico began allowing Americans to settle in Texas. Soon, Americans in Texas, known as Texians, outnumbered Mexican Tejanos, and the Mexican government soon closed the borders of Texas. This angered many Americans in Texas, many of whom were already outraged at the prohibition of slavery in Texas. There was also a religious aspect of the tension. While Mexico was an overwhelmingly Catholic nation, most of the American immigrants to Texas were Protestant. Eventually, tensions boiled over and the Republic of Texas declared independence from Mexico. Outraged, a Mexican president Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana sent troops to crush this rebellion. The Texians suffered defeat after defeat, including the Goliad Massacre, where 344 Texian POWs were executed by Mexican troops, and the Battle of the Alamo, where over 200 Texians, including Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett, died defending the Alamo mission in San Antonio. After these losses, the Texian army was reorganized under Major General Sam Houston. Houston, who was without a doubt a military genius, led the Texians to victory in the Battle of San Jacinto, and eventually, the Texians captured Santa Ana and won the war. Following the revolution, a majority of Texians voted to be annexed by the United States, 
1845, Texas became the 28th state in the U.S. This angered Santa Ana, and it didn't help that U.S. President James Polk was planning to conquer and purchase more Mexican land because of the idea of manifest destiny. Polk sent troops to Texas in the hopes of goading Mexico into starting a war. Sure enough, on April 26, 1848, U.S. Army Captain Seth Thornton and his men were ambushed by Mexican troops. Fifteen American soldiers were killed in the skirmish, and so began the Mexican-American War. At the time of the Mexican-American War, immigration to the United States was experiencing a massive boom. These immigrants came from a variety of European nations, but no other nationality was as common as the Irish. Approximately half of all immigrants to the U.S. in the 1840s were from Ireland, but as I mentioned earlier, the life of an Irish American in 1840 was not a pretty one. Following decades of harassment from nativists, many Irish moved west of the Appalachian Mountains, settling in Midwestern cities like Chicago, Illinois, and Cincinnati, Ohio. Many, including Irish immigrant John Riley, settled in Detroit, Michigan. Riley, who previously served as a sergeant in the British Army, had emigrated to the U.S. from Galway, Ireland to escape the Great Famine, and he was one of many immigrants who had enlisted in the U.S. Army as a source of income. However, he and many others frequently faced anti-Catholic and xenophobic harassment from other soldiers. Ultimately, in April of 1846, Riley deserted his post in the town of Matamoros and defected to Mexico. Following the start of the war, two more Irish immigrants in the U.S. Army, Patrick Dalton and Jacob O'Leary, defected to Mexico. The Mexicans, who were also Catholic, were much more hospitable to the Irish. They held Catholic services, paid them significantly more than the U.S. did, and granted them large tracts of land in Mexico. While they were initially called Los Colorados because of their red hair and easily sunburnt skin, Irish soldiers in the Mexican army were eventually organized into a unit called St. Patrick's Battalion. The three aforementioned defectors, now known as Juan Riley, Patricio Dalton, and Santiago O'Leary, became the leaders of the San Patricios. They created a flag for the battalion, a harp of Aaron and shamrocks on a green background. The San Patricios first fought alongside the Mexican army in the Battle of Monterey on September 21, 1846. In the battle, the San Patricios showed their skill with artillery, causing U.S. Army Major Braxton Bragg and his men to suffer heavy casualties. In February of 1847, they also took part in the Battle of Buena Vista against American commander and later president Zachary Taylor. While they were defeated by the Americans in this battle, the San Patricios once again drew heavy casualties from the U.S. Army. Many of the San Patricios were even awarded the War Cross by the Mexican government for their heroism. I'd like to take a moment to thank one of the sponsors of Historia Obscura, Anchor. 
If you do not know about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make your own podcast. Anchor gives you all the tools you need to record, edit, and publish a podcast about anything you're passionate about, whether it's sports, cooking, art, politics, obscure historical events, or anything else. You also don't need to have to go through the long and potentially expensive process of distributing your podcast, as Anchor automatically publishes it to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others. You can podcast from the comfort of your couch, so long as you have a computer or phone with you. You can easily make money through podcasting without having to seek out sponsors yourself, since Anchor gives them to you. And the best part is, it's free. You don't have to spend a penny. If you want to make your own podcast, go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app on iOS or Android to get started. At its peak, St. Patrick's Battalion included as many as 700 members. While they were primarily Irish and German immigrants, there were also Canadian, English, French, Italian, Polish, Scottish, Spanish, and Swiss immigrants within their ranks. However, they were similar in that almost all of them were devout Catholics. Several natural-born Americans also fought in the battalion, including political opponents of the U.S. Army, Latino Americans, and even a few escaped black slaves. The Mexican government took advantage of this wave of defectors, putting up propaganda posters showing the predominantly Catholic Mexicans as superior to the mostly Protestant Americans. However, tensions soon began brewing between the Mexican army and the San Patricios. While the San Patricios excelled at artillery warfare, Santa Ana wanted them to reorganize into an infantry unit. While some of them, like Juan Riley and Santiago O'Leary, had previous military experience, most of the San Patricios were unfamiliar with infantry combat. By the time the Battle of Churubusco began in August of 1847, many were still unprepared for infantry combat. St. Patrick's Battalion was put under the command of Mexican General Pedro Anaya. During the battle, Mexican forces were defending a monastery outside of Mexico City from American forces. According to American soldier and later President Ulysses S. Grant, the Battle of Churubusco was the most difficult battle of the war for the U.S. Army. However, the Americans soon gained the upper hand, and in the early morning of August 20, 1847, a Mexican officer decided to raise the white flag of surrender. Disagreeing with this decision, Patricio Dalton tore the flag down, and General Anaya told his men to fight until the end, even if they needed to use their bare hands. When other Mexican officers attempted to surrender, the San Patricios shot at them. After hours of intense close-quarters combat with bayonets, the Mexicans and San Patricios finally surrendered to American Captain James Smith. All of the 72 remaining San Patricios were captured and court-martialed for treason. 
50 of them were sentenced to death, while those who defected before the war began, including Juan Riley, were sentenced to 50 lashes each, as well as to be branded on their faces with the letter D to signify their desertion. Under the orders of General Winfield Scott, a resident of Elizabethtown, New Jersey, the 50 men sentenced to death would be hanged as war criminals, as opposed to being shot, which was generally the punishment for defectors. One San Patricio POW was extrajudicially murdered by American soldiers by being crushed by a wooden wheel of a flume. In 1848, the United States officially won the Mexican-American War. So yeah, now we have California, that's nice. As for the surviving San Patricios, most of them remained in Mexico. Many of them moved to Guadalajara, where they worked at an arsenal making gun stocks. Others, like Juan Riley, were able to live off of pensions and donations from Mexicans who respected them heavily for their military service. Riley died in Veracruz in 1850 due to yellow fever. The Mexican government later commissioned the construction of a statue of Riley that was given to the Irish government as a gift. It stands to this day in his hometown of Clifton, Galway. In both Ireland and Mexico, the San Patricios are memorialized as martyrs. The Irish political party Sinn Féin named their office in Clifton after Riley, and the town flies Mexican flags every year on Riley's birthday, February 8th. Meanwhile, in Mexico, February 8th is a day of celebration, where bagpipe bands play in major cities to honor the San Patricios. While the Mexican-American War in general is kind of a sore subject nowadays in the U.S., many Irish-Americans and Mexican-Americans still honor St. Patrick's Battalion. In response to the team's signing of Irish soccer player Robbie Keane in 2011, fans of the Major League Soccer Team Los Angeles Galaxy established a fans association for the team called the San Patricios. Juan Riley is also the subject of the song, John Riley, by country music singer Tim O'Brien. However, while it may be morbid, their greatest distinction is likely this. The execution of 50 San Patricios after the Battle of Chutabusco remains the largest mass hanging in United States history. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. Believe it or not, I actually learned about this topic while writing an essay for history class. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.